0: All right, everybody, welcome back to episode 37 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimbui Bomani, and I'm here with Joe Lodati. That's how you say your last name. Yes, sir. You yeah, got that you from got that. <laughs> yeah, I got, I, got, I got on the first try. Uh IG content creator of From the Pocket. Um, he's a guy I've been surveying for a while. And you know, we've been trying to set this up for the last few couple of weeks, but finally able to do so. So late night pie, I rarely do one of these, but I wanted to really crank this one out because I feel like it's could be a pretty good session and uh you know from the pocket that's his IG handle he talks and goes in depth about variety of NFL topics and uh before we dive into you know the game that just ended and the other topics that we have on the docket I want to let Joe talk about from the pocket and um what his IG program
1: is all about and what he likes about it so far what's going on everybody so like like you said my uh my instagram over at from the pocket i'm also doing a little bit on tiktok right now so if you guys are interested go check that out basically um i started about a little over a year ago just trying to create the most interactive um no bs environment that i can i think i've done a pretty good job of it i like to think that my uh my following is very engaging and i like to think that my content uh keeps the bs to a minimum i wanted a nice blend of that because uh no one likes to see a lot of bs on their uh their football feed. So I try to keep that to a minimum. And I give uh, what I think is a nice platform for my followers to come and share their takes as well with uh, a lot of interactive activities. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go ahead and check out From the Pocket, Instagram, and TikTok um, as of right now. Yeah, guys.
0: his um, platforms. No BS is possible when it comes to the NFL. He's also um, got his podcast on Spotify. I think on the fourth episode. I checked out the most recent one. And it's pretty good in-depth analysis, um, kind of very interactive and engaging, and I like it. And um, that's why you're on here, obviously, of course, and uh, keep pushing. I think you got something good going on, and uh, hopefully to be a fan and be a contributor, a part of that. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you. No problem, no problem. Now, we had a variety of topics to talk about beforehand, but uh, we w- wanted to crank this out after the Thursday night football game so it wouldn't be – how pretty a pod if we don't talk about that. It just concluded. The Titans were able to rally 10-0 down to beat the San Francisco 49ers 20-17. Uh, your biggest takeaways, Joe, from that game so far. Well, so far, the game's over. From that game overall, as the Titans were able to clinch a playoff spot and prohibit the Niners from kind of etching closer back into that NFC West divisional crown
1: team everybody knows their job they're very well coached they're very well disciplined and that's why they're winning football games despite all the injuries they've had this year so we saw a lot of that on display tonight and they're still very much alive in the AFC
0: yeah I thought you hit it pretty much on the nail I think for the Niners like you said Garoppolo was pretty bad from the second quarter on I think that final drive they're able to get in the scoring position and tie the game he improved and played better, but it was a little bit too little too late. And then we see how different Tennessee is as a football team with A.J. Browns on the field, healthy and incorporated within that passing game. Their losing streak has really coincided with the fact that not just Derrick Henry wasn't on the field, but their top two receivers have been in and out of the lineup in terms of health. Getting one in Brown on the field and being productive like he was was huge for them, and he basically took over the game in the second half to kind of get Tennessee in his position. And my takeaway from for the Titans is if you know Henry, we all expect them to be back for the postseason. If they can get a healthy Henry and Brown involved within their offense, it makes them a much better team. And now you can consider them as being one of the elite teams in the AFC to challenge Kansas City and the surging Colts. As for the Niners, pretty good opportunity in my opinion to kind of position themselves to steal the divisional crown towards the end of the year. But now they're 8-7 and seven, and these next two games that they have aren't gimmies. I think they play the Cardinals and the Rams to end the season. So there's a chance they could finish to year eight, and nine, maybe not even make it at all in the postseason. And like you stated, Garoppolo struggled It's had a lot of their fan base call out for Trey Lance. But I think at this point in the year, you're making a playoff push. Garoppolo has been your guy in terms of being able to get that done. So you got to ride him out. You just hope that the past performances that he had today don't continue to end the year. So now moving on to the who should win the MVP topic. Uh, I think at this point in the year, there's three guys that are kind of closing in on that award. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Jonathan Taylor. Now, Brady seemed like a foregone conclusion until he put up the stinker against the Saints. Uh, his passing grade this season has been pretty solid, but in that matchup against New Orleans, he only threw for 214 yards, he was sacked four times, threw no touchdowns, had an interception, and now that's opened the door for Rodgers. And Jonathan Taylor to get the award and so in your eyes man um, who do you feel like is the leader um, the forefronter in that award and who do you think will win it overall when
1: the season ends I mean when it comes to the MVP topic I always kind of separate to what I think should happen and what probably will happen so realistically uh, do I think Jonathan Taylor is going to win the MVP award? Probably not, especially when there's two quarterbacks in contention. Do I think he deserves a little bit more recognition than he'll probably end up getting? Yeah, I mean, sure, it's tough for a running back to win it, and I agree. It's, it's a quarterback award, and it's a quarterback award for good reason, but Jonathan Taylor's been fantastic. Uh, as far as a person I think will win it and probably should like I said I just think I don't think Jonathan Taylor necessarily should win it but it's just more he should get he's, he's not going to get the recognition he deserves when it comes down to it but Aaron Rodgers has been absolutely fantastic for the Packers the last couple of weeks um, in particular the last two weeks uh, his offense is completely surging one of the best if not the best unit in the league right now and Aaron Rodgers is obviously a huge reason why just like we saw last year and he's gonna goes I mean last dance Aaron Rodgers we all know the drama severe through it and uh, had a couple huge when it comes to the media the narrative as far as front runner right now
0: yeah i agree with that sentiment as well um you know rogers has gotten a lot of fanfare and fandom in terms of being able to be on this run in terms of being able to pass that the 300 yard clip be successful get the touchdowns and all that but the stat that kind of you know reached out to me that was significant is taylor when he's ran 400 yards this year has Helped the Colts win eight games, and they haven't lost any when he's crossed the 100 yard century mark as a rusher. So they're 8 0 when he reaches 100 yards on the ground. Um, He's got over a 1,000 yards after contact. He's the leading rusher. He basically turned around this team season really at the San Francisco game where it seemed like they were fading into oblivion. And he was able to come back, play pretty well in that game despite the two fumbles, run for over 100 yards. And then from there, they haven't really looked back. So I get Rodgers is the fan for the quarterback award, Green Bay best record in the league but you know he's a top 10 passing yardage guy I think he's 10th I think uh Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins have more passing yards than him he's I think what's really carrying him at this point is the touchdown interception ratio it's been huge for the team um but if we talk about yardage aspects he's not there he's not top five in passing touchdowns and so I think when you look at a quarterback winning the reward they dominate in terms of passing yardage passing touchdowns and being able to not to turn the ball over at a high rate. so that's Brady was kind of doing all of that before the performance he put up against the saints. So now you got to look at it as, okay, at this point, Rodgers Taylor, who's providing that significance for their team to be successful in terms of making that playoff push. And we look at green Bay. It's been a collective. Rodgers has played well, but that running game has been pretty underrated. The defense has been able to hold its own and be elite this year without a Jair Alexander and Kenny Clark in the lineup consistently. So, putting all that into a kind of putting all that into context feel like Taylor's the one that deserves it not just if you look at it from an in this standpoint but if you look at it from overall without him you know Colts aren't a postseason team in my opinion
1: I mean I'm having a hard time agreeing because if he it's the same situation like yeah I agree that The Colts are not as good or even a good team without Jonathan Taylor. But uh, I think they're better off without Jonathan Taylor than the Packers would be without Aaron Rodgers. So, And, and again, that just comes down to a positional value debate, and that's like everybody wants to see another position win it, but the truth of the matter is that there's no position more valuable than the quarterback.
0: Yeah, that's hard to deny, but I'm actually looking at it from, you know, the statistical standpoint and how the year has been. And you're right, quarterback's important. That's the main reason why Moore Thompson not the guy that wins the MVP is the QP. But, you know, like I stated, he's 10th in passing yards. That's Rodgers. He's behind Allen, Cousins, and Prescott. He's got the same amount of pass he scores as Mahomes. He just doesn't have the interception. His touchdown-to-interception ratio is phenomenal. It's 30-4. to So that, you know, propels his argument. But like I stated before, the defense has been just as underrated. I mean, Rasul Douglas went from the practice squad to being a Pro Bowl alternate. Um, and I've seen the games... Uh, you know, recently for this Packers team. And they remind me a lot of that Packers squad that lost to the Niners in the NFC Championship game. And I'm not saying that that's going to be their fate in the postseason, but they're a balanced offense where their rushing attack kind of sets the stage for Rodgers to be an efficient passer and not have to put the ball in the air a ton. While if we look at the Colts, they live and die by the ground game. Their ground game is Jonathan Taylor. Um, his carries have been, the roof. I think he leads the league in carries. He obviously leads the league in rushing yards. And so, my standpoint on it is, I feel like all JT really has to get to is if he gets to 2,000 yards and finishes the year with 20 some rushing touchdowns. I think that's enough. Especially if the Colts finish the year without another, you know, blemish in the loss column. So, I mean, that's that's my perspective on it for sure.
1: I see your Rodgers is top ten in passing yards, and he missed the game too. You got to take that into account because. I mean, it's a close race. Uh, you add another game on there and you don't know where he ends up, especially against the Chiefs defense. I was kind of still trying to find out who they were at the time. You, I mean, just like he could have put up 50 yards there, but he also could have put up 500. You never know. So you kind of have to take that game into account because uh, chances are he wasn't going to throw for negative yards in that one. So. I
0: feel you. I feel you. I mean, that game is is somewhat important, but my response to him missing – that game uh, is he's had some games where he hasn't passed for over 200 yards. He's had three games where he's been below 200 yards passing. He's had five games where he's been below 300 yards passing. Recently, he's reached a 300-yard passing plateau uh, consecutively, like four times. And obviously, I feel like his best game this year was against the Vikings. It was a loss, but he played phenomenal in that football game. Um, his Bear game looks even gaudier statistically, but during that game, they had the Russian game rolling, and it was – He'll just to back and forth. So uh, basically what I'm saying is I've seen Rodgers have better years during his MVP campaign. And I do feel like he's being a little bit more inflated because of the aforementioned touchdown interception ratio and then the record that they have. And so I'm not denying without Rodgers, Green Bay wouldn't even be in this position. But there's a lot of coinciding factors that have allowed Green Bay to be an 11-3 team. The defense, especially that secondary play's been underrated. The running game, the two-headed monster of Dylan and Jones. Um, Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams. Um, but I think him, his productivity goes hand in hand in Rodgers' productivity. So Green Bay has a complete squad that's helped him get here. Indianapolis, their defense has started to catch fire recently, but offensively, it's been the ground game that's kind of helped them be where they are. So I think all these things need to be taken into account if you look at it like that. And so that's where I like. But no valid point. With the he missed the game, and he's the quarterback. And without Rodgers, Green Bay wouldn't be there. But focusing on the context of how unique this season has been, I think Taylor's story has been way more vital to Indianapolis' success, in my opinion, than Rodgers. So, yeah,
1: you know, like I said, I, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from with that, but uh, it's it's just a hard debate with the uh, the positional value and the, the difference in positions and all that.
0: It is. It is. But um, that's why we have these these debates. Um, so, I mean, you have your perspective. I have mine. I thought we both kind of hit it on the nail in terms of these guys belong there and they're important to their respective teams. But I think we could kind of both agree that Tom Brady kind of nipped the tail on his chances to get back into the race. Um, phenomenal player. He's had a phenomenal season. But with Mike Evans and Chris Galvin probably not playing the rest of the year. They do have favorable matchups, playing the Panthers twice in the Jets. But I think at this point, the way they were humbled against New Orleans, Bruce Arians is probably going to have that team locked and loaded on playing good football to gain momentum heading into the playoffs. So I don't think they're going to be playing around in terms of trying to get Brady back into the mix. So it will probably come down to Rodgers and Taylor as we both probably feel like Brady has faded away due to his performance against New Orleans.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, Brady is always a contender for the MVP award, and for that reason alone, I think he he kind of fades always because you don't want to give it to the same guy every single year, although he might be deserving. But uh, his performance uh, last week wasn't the greatest, and it it came at a very poor time because uh, Rodgers did a ton for his campaign over the last two weeks, and then obviously Jonathan Taylor had the – have the big game against the Pats knocking down the, uh, the top seed in the AFC. So in a week where those two guys are putting up that kind of storyline and those stat lines, that narrative, that media, that uh, media publicity, you uh, know, in, in a, in a league where that matters a ton, uh, Brady really, really hurt his chances with that, but uh, he'll be all right in Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, he'll be all right. He's got plenty of MVPs on his shows. He's not missing anything in the future to further <laughs> propel his goat status, but Speaking of Brady, we're going to dive right into the Tampa Bay Super Bowl topic. Um, Their chances have kind of diminished since the injuries if the New Orleans game didn't do anything immediate in terms of preventing them from clinching the division. um, It placed a lot of guys on the injury report and heading into their NFC South tilt against Carolina. They've got 10 players on the injury report. The biggest one is Chris Godwin. He's going from the year towards ACL. A lot of people are making a big deal about the tackle that P.J. Williams made. Is it legal or not? I think it's a Dumb conversation to have because the NFL kind of wrote the death sentence to players getting their legs protected in tackling formations by saying you can't go high because if you go high and go home with the helmet, you're going to get fined. You're going to get flagged. So it's unfortunate, but that's how the rules have been listed. But gowin has been huge for this team coming out of the slot. Mike Evans has a nagging hamstring injury that will probably limit him for the rest of the regular season. But we expect him to be back. But we know the thing about hamstrings, they can always flare up. And then not to mention Leonard Fournette with his hamstring ankle injury, then Antoine Winfield, the junior and Levante David have been on the injury report as well. So all this being what it is in your eyes, does this prevent Tampa from being able to repeat as champs, or is this a slight blip in the road that maybe they can micromanage and still come out of the NFC?
1: Uh, you, it's cliche, but it's true. You can never rule out Tom Brady and they have a ton of injuries and they've had a ton of injuries all year. And, uh, They've, they've persevered through them all, and I expect them to do the same. A lot of hits to the wide receiver room, but a lot of people don't quite understand how deep this wide receiver room actually is because uh, Antonio Brown's going to be back for you, which is huge. Uh, Tyler Johnson has been a very promising second-year player. We just hasn't seen much time. And Scotty Miller is no slouch as well, and then obviously you still have Rob Gronkowski there as well. So uh, in the receiver room, yeah, it's a tough blow. Hopefully you will get Evans back. Hopefully he can rest up with the, uh, the easy schedule coming up. And then uh be ready for playoffs. And then you then you're really looking good. It sucks to lose Chris Godwin, but um, like I said, a pretty deep receiver room there. As far as the defense, they've been banged up all year, whether it's a secondary, excuse me, or up front. Right now they've got some issues in the linebacking core. Uh secondary's finally getting healthy and the secondary's been playing very well when healthier, adding mike edwards back to that and so that's another piece to uh it's hard to rule out tom brady ever it's hard to rule out a team uh, i wouldn't be too worried about tampa bay especially with some of the injuries uh, a lot of those guys you could expect to see them back in in the postseason and even if they're not i think tampa bay is going to be perfectly fine well your optimism for tampa is a lot better than i than mine on this topic
0: i think the <laughs> saints game probably ruined their super bowl chances just because of the injuries that they've suffered we know Galvin's not coming back. Evans will come back and Fournette will expect in the postseason, but hamstrings are nagging. They never really go away. And you're talking to a Saints fan who last year, the Michael Thomas injury, he had the ankle injury in week one. He eventually came back for the postseason, but he was never the same. And that's the main reason why, along with not taking the surgery on the Tommy manner, he's never played this year, this whole season. So, you know, hamstrings aren't anything to play with. Uh, and it was pretty clear in that Saints game, man, what Brady doesn't have his Pro Bowl weapons on the field. It's a different offense. And yeah, they're a deep receiving room. So I expect AB to come in off of his suspension and be able to play well. I think he's going to do what he has to do. But the consistency from Scotty Miller, who's elevated up in the roster spot now, and Tyler Johnson, who's elevated. And now you're leaning on your aging, talented, but aging tight end core to be key factors in the receiving game as well. It presents a hit offensively. And then defensively, like you stated, their secondary has been banged up all year, but the guy that they really couldn't afford to lose was Anton Winfield Jr. He's been phenomenal all year for them at that free safety spot. I'm kind of surprised he didn't make the Pro Bowl. He's one of the highest graded free safeties in the league. And so not having him on a back end, it's a different feel. And uh, the NFC, man, it's, it's a tough conference. And now what this does for Tampa is you don't be able to get the first round by. I think that's over with. So now for a second year in a row, you have to win three games to get back to the Super Bowl, and you got to go through a green Bay uh, Rams, Dallas, uh, maybe Arizona. And then I think all these teams present problems for Tampa because now you don't have your starting running back potentially. So now you have to lean on Ronald Jones, Le'Veon Bells and now into the full two guys that are a little inconsistent as runners at this point in their careers. And then back in the secondary, you don't have your leader or your linebacker. So they're going to be a tough out. Like you said, Brady, their defense is talented and stout. But that dynamicness that they had for most of the year is gone because of the injuries. And they're going to feel it in the postseason against tougher opponents that they faced the second half of the season.
1: I mean, you got to take injuries into account no matter what the team is, but the NFC, the NFL in general has been a very very jumbled up league this year. So you got to take that into account. And in a season where you can't trust a lot of things, um, I'm going to trust Tom Brady because it seems that everything else is... Not not trust you can't not trustworthy, and uh, you want to talk about the injuries for Tampa Bay, but a lot of the top teams in the NFC are also suffering from a lot of injuries and persevering through them. Not like I said Tampa Bay has been doing it all year, so I'm not giving I'm not I'm not going to discredit them for what they've done throughout their injuries. But Green Bay has been battling injury all year, especially the defensive side of the ball. Uh, perhaps your two best defensive players been out all year, and that defense has been playing better than ever. Uh, Arizona has been banged up all year with Murray. Hopkins is now out into the playoffs so they're going to have that issue he's not going to be 100% when he comes back and Kyler Murray's probably still got a bit of a uh, discomfort still getting his feet wet once again and then that perhaps the healthiest team out of those top teams in the NFC top top seeds in the NFC that is is the Dallas Cowboys and it's clear that Dak Prescott is fighting through a bit of injury right now as well because he, he really just hasn't been the same since returning from that calf injury he's not moving the same he's not producing the same you know and maybe it will get healthier but if you want to talk about Tampa Bay's injury issues. Yeah, there might be more of them, but there's plenty of teams along with them in the NFC that are battling the same thing right now.
0: All truths, all truths. He brought up great points. Dallas has their injury, injury situation. I think that's the main reason why that press got a struggled. I've stated he's not healthy. So all these guys coming out, here saying he's not what he was early in the year. Well, yeah, at his peak early in the year, he was at peak health. After yeah. that New England injury, he hasn't been the same as a passer. Great point about Kyler Murray. He's come back recently, but the dynamicness just isn't there anymore. The passing efficiency has been up and down, and that's expected for a guy that hasn't played in almost three to four weeks. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, when he comes back into the fold, he won't be 100%. Great points. But I think the difference between all those teams and what Tampa's suffering right now is they've suffered an intensive ramp injury-wise late in the year. I think Murray suffered his situation last month. DeAndre Hopkins has been in and out of the lineup health-wise most of the year. So Arizona has been able to, obviously they can't win without Kyler, but they've been able to game, uh, get accustomed to the fact that Hopkins isn't in the receiving core for them. So A.J. Green has had to step up and Christian Kirk has had to step up and they went and got Zach Ertz. And I honestly feel like for Arizona's sake, they're a much better team when they run the football first instead of running the football to establish their passing game. Um, so there's that there. And then obviously State Green Bay, Jair Alexander hasn't been available for almost two months now. And Kenny Clark's been in and out of the lineup, but they've been able to play around that and play well, with Razul Douglas being a find, and then collectively being solid pass rushing-wise. And so um, all these teams, man, like they've had these injuries, I agree. But, you know, when you lose your best slot receiver, on the team at this point in the year, and then you're starting receivers out as well. It just puts everything in a bind. And now it's got Brady facing the same situation he ran away from and Foxborough only this time when healthy his receiving core is elite when they're not. Now you're throwing to young receivers or an aging veterans at the receiving core. And then you're leading on tight ends that are up in age as well. So, and even the running game with Leonard Fournette, is started to be a staple for them late in the year that I thought they could utilize and ride productively into the postseason. We don't know about Fournette's consistency health-wise moving forward. So, you know, Tampa just suffered injuries at the worst time. I I, Like you stated, everybody in the NFL, and the NFC in particular, have had injuries within their roster. But they were able to have them at mid or later points of the year before the month of December, allowing teams to kind of find a way to game plan around it. Tampa, this is a new reality. That they'll be able to probably game plan around, but they won't be able to do so against elite comp. Carolina twice in New York you can kind of dust yourselves off and gain some side of some level of momentum but you're going to miss those guys when you place a ferocious Dallas pass rush or the versatility the Rams have on their back end or when Green Bay's bringing to the table as well as the unit so it's going to hurt and I think that was one of the big skeptical reasons I had about Tampa Bay repeating this year they brought back the same squad but a lot of these guys are aging vets and so what aging vets the skinny on them is when they do get nicked up it takes them a little bit more time to get back into the recovery state because they're older. And when you see guys like Levante, Dave, and Mike Evans, who's nearing 30, and Gronkowski and Fournette as well, getting nicked up, now you're hoping that they bounce back a little quicker in the recovery process, and that's no true guarantee. So that's my standpoint on that there.
1: Uh, It's an interesting point with the the timing of the injuries, and obviously – poor timing for Tampa Bay, but it's not like the season's completely over. Like you said, they, they've got a couple of games against some like weaker opponents and uh, that's going to allow them to really get a feel for this new lineup that they're going to be having to run for the next couple weeks, particularly on offense, Brady getting on page with the, with the uh, the receivers, which I think he does a good job of regardless. But like I said, it's a season where a lot of things are, are not trustworthy. And right now Tom Brady's healthy that offensive line is healthy and those are two things that I really can't bet against. I'm not saying they're the favorite, but they could easily knock off any of the top teams in the NFC despite all the injuries.
0: They can. They can and uh I think one thing that they have going for them is there's a chance they won't have to worry about playing the Saints in the playoffs because it's pretty clear out of everybody in the NFC that's the team that has their number especially on the defensive end. So um, we all know Rams have superstars defensively in Donald and Ramsey, but as a unit, New Orleans has been the team that's caused them the most problems as a defense. They won't have to worry about those guys in the playoffs. So it's all about matchups in the postseason. And obviously every team wants to have their top guns there when they're competing for a Lombardi trophy. Tampa won't have that luxury come playoff time, but Hey, like you said, they have Brady, um, AB's returned. So they have him as well. And they have that experience they have that cohesion and they do have that depth. So that's something to lead on in the postseason. I just feel like unlike year, it's going to be tougher to win three games in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl. The NFC is that deep, especially even though San Francisco struggled today. That's a team. I think any given playoff moment, you don't want to see them or have them rolling, especially with the rushing game, and their pass rush. So it's going to be tough for Tampa. But like you stated, um, they got Brady. They got the experience. It's the postseason; anything can happen. So they could write write the ship. I'm just skeptical, and I do feel like if it doesn't pan out, their fan base is going to look back on the second time they play the Saints this year and how the injuries just
1: ravaged their chances of a repeat this season. Yeah, I mean uh, the the Saints do indeed have their number over the past year or so, so um, it'll be nice. I mean, the Saints do still have a shot at the playoffs, but likelihood that they're not going to make it, and it's not likely that if they do make it, they'll be mashing up with Tampa Bay in the first round, but uh, that seventh seed is still up for grabs, so you can't really rule out the Saints, although uh, Ian Book, a quarterback, is not the best look at the moment for the Saints.
0: As a Saints fan, I would agree. Ian Book isn't the best, but it's crazy. You know, 7-7, seven and seven, they still have a chance and the postseason out of, I think it's them Vikings Eagles out of all the teams competing. Uh, the saints might have probably the easiest schedule out of all of them. I think the Vikings are going to drop their matchup against the Rams and Packers coming up. Um, Eagles have three straight divisional matchups, you know, divisional matchups can go e- either way. And if Dallas has something to play for, I don't think they can beat Dallas if they play their starters the whole time. So, uh um, We'll see where that goes on the seven C route uh, with the Jaguars. It's the next topic we're going to talk about the Jags chance at getting a new head coach. Um, Urban Meyer didn't work out to a lot of people's expectations. I didn't expect him to work out. I thought at the collegiate level, he was pretty good at building a ironically enough, a foundation and a culture. But then when that culture kind of had some chinks in the armor, he always ran away. I mean, that's what happened at Florida and Ohio state. Um, I, don't think that really happened at Bowling Green when he was there I can't really speak on that but I know that happened at Florida and Ohio State and so didn't work out in Jacksonville now Jacksonville is looking for a new head coach it's pretty clear that whoever they bring in they got to be a guy that can kind of work with the strengths and also take away the uh, immense responsibility from Trevor Lawrence I feel like he's been taxed to do a lot for this football team and it and hasn't worked out very well for them so before we dive into what a coach can or should do with Trevor. We got to find out which coach is idealistic for the Jags moving forward. Who do you think is the perfect fit for them
1: as they prepare for the offseason next year? It's been an interesting year for uh, head coach hires because last year we were talking about Joe Brady, Brian Dable. And while, well, not so much Joe Brady, but Brian Dable is still very much a candidate. Obviously, they're not the uh, the sought after head coaching candidates that they were a year ago. But uh, you have to take into account all those offensive gurus. You have to take into account Brian Dable, Byron Leftwich, Kellen Moore, and um, there's another one that Eric Bieniemy is always in there. But those guys, you always got to take into account because that's what everybody's looking for. The league is an offensive-driven league. And Kellen Moore, what he's been able to do with that uh, with that Dallas Cowboys team that we've seen, even with all the talent, struggle. Uh Largely due to coaching. And ever since he's been there, that hasn't necessarily been the case. His offense has been firing on all cylinders. And Dak Prescott has been playing some of the best football of his career. How the aggressive nature fit, that's who I'd be calling for. Obviously, some possibly coming up yet. I'm not looking at a lot of the defensive guy, especially when you have Trevor Lawrence, who you really, really, really are hoping is going to pan out. I don't see a route or a world where they go defensive. And I think that Kellen Moore would make a very good mentor for Trevor Lawrence and a lot of these young pieces on the, uh, the Jaguars offense.
0: I agree with the sentiment of picking an offensive-minded coach. I think for Jacksonville, uh, you can bring a guy like that who could come in and their owner, Khan, he's proven that even with Urban, for better or worse, he lets the coach come in and kind of predicate what he wants his staff to be, what he wants his philosophy to be, what players he wants. The owner for the Jacks will let you do that. So you need to bring a guy in their offensively that has the mindset and ideology to present an offense that is featured around Trevor's skill set. And I think... What they need to be looking for is a guy that can come in and establish balance within an offense. James Robinson, as um, underutilized as he's been as a running back, can get 1,000 yards rushing this year, which is crazy considering how Urban went out of his way to bench him the last two games he was the headband. So I'm saying all that to say I would probably go with Doug Peterson. Now, haven't heard that name for a minute, but I would go with Peterson because we saw what he was able to do with Wentz and Foles, um, Wentz when he was kind of at his peak and Foles getting Foles to his peak in his career. But in terms of what he was able to get out of them as passers and utilize the rushing game to open up passing concepts for them to be successful. So I'd go that route because you have backs in Robinson and Etn, uh, You have a quarterback that's mobile and athletic in Lawrence. And honestly, you can clear in the receiving room whichever way you want. And I think getting a guy like Peterson in there, he can probably find guys that fit his mold in terms of being separators and whatnot, because I do feel for Lawrence's sake, he needs receivers that can take the top off the defense and guys that can create space off the top of their route, catch the ball and get yak. And so the only guy that I think does that well on their roster is a guy mm-hmm. like a DJ Chark. So, you know, they got a clean receiver room there, but I go with Peterson. I'm skeptical with left, and more more so with more than left, I think left, which isn't a bad idea either. Um, I think it would be a great story for the franchise. Get your former quarterback to come back and resurrect the franchise, but this time as a head coach. Because what Lovewich has been able to do to provide uh, uniqueness to this Tampa offense by balancing Brady's strengths and Arians' philosophy into the perfect kind of vertical passing game that still utilizes intermediate and underneath passing concepts to be successful. And it's been wonderful the past two years. I'm skeptical on Kellen. Because Kellen, even with all the talent he has, has been a little bit too cute at times with play calling. And I do feel underutilized his players within his team that could help make that offense in Dallas even successful, such as running Tony Pollard more than Ezekiel Elliott. So it for me it would be either Peterson or Leftwich. Um, I probably lean with Peterson because of his history of incorporating the run to help his young quarterback be successful. And whoever gets it the best thing that Khan is going to bring to the table as an owner is he's not going to fiddle with it. Like I'm going to hire you on and dictate who you should get or why he's going to let the coach kind of formulate the roster that he feels fits the culture of where he wants the team to go. And I think that can kind of make the Jaguars reach their potential as a team because he let urban do it. And urban didn't really know what he wanted philosophy wise. He was hired Tebow so he can be the tight end or, draft etn where you had robinson and um early on in the year let lawrence throw the ball 35 40 times and forego the run period because i don't know why and so either guy that can come in and provide that balance and i think peterson would be perfect but Leftwich wouldn't be so
1: bad either it's an interesting debate with all the uh the offensive coaches that are going to be on the uh the coaching carousel this year and doug peterson's a guy who's often forgotten because uh, he's obviously not coaching at the moment. He says he still wants to coach. So he's a guy that, that should get some consideration because, like I said, he's got some experience with some younger some younger quarterbacks developing those guys and obviously going to a Super Bowl and winning it. But uh, he's a guy that isn't being talked about enough because there's so many exciting young offensive coordinators that are on the table for the head coaching job. But Doug Peterson's got to be right up there with them, and he could be an interesting fit in Jacksonville.
0: It would be interesting, to be, um Peterson came to mind because this questionnaire I find on the internet which coaches would be idealistic to fix for the Jags. And I did hear about Lovefish, but I saw Peterson and I thought about Peterson, looked up Peterson's track record, and it just fits in terms of the personnel that they have. I do think the most important thing Jacksonville does need to work on in the offseason is trying to further fortify that offensive line and add some weapons, <clears throat> excuse me, that will help Lawrence develop <laughs> as a quarterback. Uh LaViska Chenault was not really high on him when he came out of Colorado. And so far in his young career, he's not the route runner. To, well, he wasn't a route runner coming into the league, but he hasn't developed his route running skills. And so I still feel like you can get the best out of Chenault, especially seeing the likes of what Debo Samuel and Cordo Patterson are doing in terms of utilizing him as a runner on reverses, off the backfield, bubble screens and whatnot. But I do think you need to pivot away from Marvin Jones and you need to get guys that, are like DJ chart. They don't have to be his size or his speed, his size speed combo, but separators, better route runners and whatnot. And so with the draft and free agency or four, I feel like there's some underrated guys in those areas that can come in and kind of give a jolt to Jacksonville's offensive skill positions. But um, I still think Jacksonville a good job. I, I know Urban Meyer, not good job, but a tantalizing job for a head coach to want to consider. You got Lawrence, you have a staple of backs, um you can kind of put any type of receiver that you want on the team to help make those guys get better and if everything goes right you're able to bring Jacksonville back to prominence you'll be looked at as a hero in that town and a game changer around the league and so uh Jacksonville, you know they're gonna have they're picking of coaches and hopefully they don't mess it up and get the guy that they need to resurrect their franchise
1: Yeah, no, I don't think it's necessarily as bad of a job as people are going to make it out to me because there's, there's plenty of weapons on that team. This is a team, I mean, I didn't necessarily agree with this, but a lot of people uh, heading into the season thought that they could be a lot better than people expected. Um, the offensive line and defense just weren't there for me yet. And the first-year head coach, who uh, did not really have an opinion on the signing because you don't really know what to expect when you're bringing a whole new style of offense into the league. So it, it could have went anyway. Uh, obviously went the wrong way, but uh, there's a team that a lot of people were kind of high on. And after what's been a disastrous season, which should have been expected, uh, people are ready to jump off. But that's uh, that's just simply a bit of an overreaction because this team still got some talent. They're still rebuilding in the right direction. They just, they just hit a little bump in the road, and it's not ideal for Trevor Lawrence to have another head coach coming in already, but better to uh, get him out of there before uh, he hurts his development even more. So... It could be an interesting job, obviously, anytime you have Trevor Lawrence or somebody of that caliber there. It's going to draw some eyes for uh, some candidates.
0: Yeah, you're right on that fact. A lot of guys did expect Jacksonville to be better. But I do think the two things that hurt them the most, um, outside of Urban being a coach for their team, uh, lack of separators at the receiver position, you really saw that as a weakness moving forward, especially when DJ Chark went out with the injury on Thursday night football against Cincinnati. And then I just don't think enough vets. Um, defensively, uh, they had a lot of guys that were in their rookie contract or on their second contracts, kind of being in the secondary, um, in the trenches. Miles Jack is the veteran, and he's kind of still a young guy, so to speak, at the backer spot. So they really lead on a lot of rookie, rookie contracts, second year contract guys to kind of come in and change the culture. And so you got a rookie head coach, rookie quarterback young team overall and when the guy up top has no cohesion and then the players around him kind of feed off of that cohesion you kind of don't reach your fullest potential and you become a bottom dweller because let's be real that Jaguars team is way more talented roster wise than the Texans but what helps the Texans is um, they got vets and the vets come out there to be professional every every day um they kind of be they kind of are in the right positions they make plays when they're supposed to and when the rubber meets the road they find ways to win and i feel like jacksonville found ways to lose and a lot of that had to do with this useful culture that didn't have the structure and cohesion to get things done in winnable games but that being said they were able to beat buffalo um i they beat buffalo uh i don't know if they beat tennessee um, but I know they beat Buffalo. So they've had some games that they've been able to win, but they've also lost some games that they weren't able to win because of just ineptitude at the head coaching camp. So guy that can come in, right hand on the shoulders, knows the ins and outs of the NFL game, can put these guys in the best position to succeed. And I think you can get a very different Jacksonville team moving forward. I mean, they have a chance to get the number one pick again. That probably means what, Aiden Hutchinson. So that's another guy that you can add to, I think, a D-line that has talent led by Josh Allen. So sky's the limit for that team. As crazy as it sounds to say, they just need the right structure and fortitude to kind of change the culture. Because contrary to popular belief when the Jaguars came onto the scene as an expansion team, that was a winning franchise. They hit the ground running, winning, like getting to the playoffs, winning playoff games, getting to the AFC championship. And really since the turn of the, well, the turn of the last decade into now, they haven't been that. And, you know, it's time for them to kind of get back to their roots and be a powerhouse potentially once again in the
1: years moving forward. Yeah, no, it's, it's they're, they're definitely mid-rebuild. That's the thing with the veterans. So uh, can't really expect too much going on just yet. But hopefully, uh, hopefully the pieces they've been putting around Trevor Lawrence and on this Jaguars team will help pan things out for them and uh, help them get back to where they want to be. Uh, when it comes to draft pick, they're obviously going to end up with a higher pick and they can get their hands on one of those edge rushers. That would obviously be fantastic, but this team's got plenty of holes and they could use a lot of guys at a lot of different spots. So can't really go wrong when it comes to that pick.
0: You can't go wrong. Indeed. And if you draft well, you can always change the fortunes of your team. It's just some teams just don't draft well, unfortunately. Um, The AFC playoff picture to cap this segment off. um, It's, As it's dropped, um, Tennessee won. So currently they're the two seed. But um, if New England's able to beat Buffalo, Tennessee would drop down to the three. But let's kind of break it down to what it is so far. So my opinion on the AFC currently is the picture as it is. Not as it is from one to seven, but the teams that are in the playoffs, if it were to start today. I think that's what it's going to be to end the year. Um, For sure, I think Bengals are going to, staying it and they're gonna be in it. So uh let's start with Kansas City. This is a team that at one point they were three and four. And hey man, I man I know uh from the pocket you're on social media like I am you see this the messages Kansas City's done they're not going back to the playoffs Mahomes is figured it out seven games later they're at the top C of the AFC um do you feel like in the AFC it's Kansas City in the field or do you see a team that could potentially challenge the Chiefs and come out of the AFC and represent the Super
1: Bowl for the first time in about two years? <laughs> um, the, the criticisms of Kansas City were a bit harsh to me. If anyone here is a follower, you guys know I went through the struggles, but the biggest issues with the I was concerned, but this Kansas City defense always gets despite not having the best personnel, but they always get better. They're, they're a very well coached defense that adjusts well week in week out. So that was bound to improve. And then the turnovers were a huge deal. And turnovers are just not a sustainable thing. Uh, it's whether it's uh, no turnovers or just a lot of turnovers. It's just you can't expect that trend to continue. And if it shifted in favor of Kansas city, even slightest bit that it was going to help them out a ton. And that's what we're seeing now in this seven game win streak. So I'm not necessarily surprised by the Kansas city getting hot and uh, overtaking that one seed. But I don't think I would say it's Kansas city versus the field per se. I, I, to say that kansas city is the favorite but you got to take into account new england and what they've been doing this year obviously just dropped to the colts but that's a tough game thursday night or, or saturday saturday football excuse me uh oh, weird time of the year saturday night football uh coming off the bye week traveling i mean you are well rested but like i said you're traveling it's against the colts team that can really beat anybody and loose to anybody that is but it's a tough team to beat they're tough up front and you, the 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 Patriots are on a long win streak, man. You got to give them their credit. It's got to come to an end at some point. But uh, what they've been doing all season is absolutely fantastic on both sides of the ball. You got to uh, you got to have them up there with the favorites, the, uh, with, with the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Feel you, I do. Um, and the New England perspective is is real. Um, I kind of want to pat myself on the back with the Pats when they made the decision to go with Mac over Cam. I said it then. It made sense. Thought Mac played well enough in the preseason to kind of be the guy for the team moving forward. And I felt like after I saw how they played Week One against Miami, I was like, "Yeah, this team is playoff caliber." And then they had the little early in the year where you know Mac was still trying to find his footing, and the defense was kind of getting that work. And then in the second half of the season, they go on that run. Obviously, we recognized the turning point was. Ironically enough, the loss to Dallas, I think that kind of changed their season in its totality. Matt got comfortable. The defense kind of shored itself up and they never looked back from there. But I do feel New England slightly overrated because the fact of the matter is Mac's a rookie and him being a rookie doesn't have to do largely with how I think this team is somewhat limited in the postseason. But it is clear that in the future. The opposition is just going to shrink the field. They're going to stack the box. They're going to make Matt Jones beat them by being able to make consistent downfield passes. And let's face it, his arm isn't the strongest in terms of consistent air distance. So there's a chance, or there has been chances, we saw in the Colts game, where those at times forced the underneath route, routes because that's a staple, that's its comfort zone, and it can be sat on and picked. And so my feeling with New England is, when Mac Jones is behind, like he was against Indy, can he play you back into a game in the playoffs for, for you to win and come from behind fashion? He almost did it against Indy, mainly because Carson Wentz was worse than Mac, but I'm not comfortable enough feeling that Mac can do that yet because he's still young. He still has time to evolve as a quarterback, but he's not there yet. And then, you know, we saw a Tennessee played. Uh, you know, if Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown are going to be healthy, then Tennessee's right there. But my question with A.J. Brown is, he was phenomenal this week. Is he going to be healthy enough two to three weeks down the line in the postseason for that play to continue? So, so many that and I think the Bengals, Coach, Charters, and Bills are kind of all one and the same. I think they all have strengths that will allow them to be playoff teams that can make some noise, like win a game. But their levels of weaknesses, I feel, won't make them last long in the field. Cincinnati, uh, their offensive line is still suspect. It's shown immense cracks late in the year. It's just Burrow has been so phenomenal at passing under duress, especially the clinic he put on against the Niners, where it seemed like Burrow was breathing down his neck, ready to kill him every time he dropped back to pass in the fourth. I like what the Colts are doing, running the football, number one in the league in defensive takeaways. But Carson Wentz, I think he's going to hold them back because He's inaccurate. He's an inaccurate gunslinger, so he's willing to force it through a wall, but at times it's for better or worse. Chargers are like Burrow's evolution as a pasture. Their running game has been promising as well, but fact of the matter is defensively, they're broke up. Derwin James can't stay on the field. They can't stop a nosebleed on the ground in terms of running, stopping opposing teams from running the football, and their secondary plays just a suspect, mainly because Derwin isn't healthy. And then Asante Samuel Jr., who played pretty well early in the year. He's been in and out of the lineup. I think he may have came back recently, but there's that. And then Buffalo losing Trey White severely cripples their secondary, and they can't run the ball consistently enough to protect Josh Allen from himself. So I think it's KC in the field, but I will concede, like you kind of said, KC, New England, and Tennessee are, in my opinion, the legit contenders out of all other guys that I feel like will be involved in the AFC playoffs.
1: There's a bunch of teams to take into account in the AFC. After all, it's been a completely jumbled up conference for the entire season. As you can see, there's teams like Baltimore, who we all thought were locks, possibly the number one seed, and now they're on the outside looking in. So there's a plenty of teams, and you bring up the Cincinnati Bengals, and I don't think they're quite ready, but they're definitely a team that can catch one of the top teams slipping in the playoffs this year i don't think like i said i don't think they're ready to exactly make a run i don't want to say that but it's just not likely for a team like that they still have a bunch of holes in that roster probably playing a bit over their head this year but joe burrow's been absolutely fantastic this offense once it's clicking is very efficient they play very clean football and they could catch any of the top teams in the afc slipping and knock them off uh just the way they've been playing all year obviously some inconsistent play but Joe Burrow's been fantastic he gets the most out of all his receivers and he he really knows how to take advantage of their strengths their matchups and he really has full command of this offense in just his second year
0: he does he does and uh I said it early in the year week 1 I think I was like look I think Joe Burrow's the best quarterback in his division And obviously that was at a time when Lamar had the MVP and it looked by far, Lamar was the best in his division in terms of accolades and playoff appearances and the success he's had. But as the seasons continued, you've seen the passing powers of Burrow is amazing. The thing that's hurt him is at times he tries every throw and that's why he's kind of up there as the league leaders in terms of interceptions thrown. But he has to do it at times because he knows that um, every possession is valuable through the air behind that o line he's playing, and I kind of give that Cincinnati o line some credit. It's it's a lot better than what it. I'm not gonna say a lot better, but it's slightly better than what it was last year, and I do feel they're a better team when they establish the run with Joe Mixon, who's currently banked up. So I think if Cincinnati's able to be a more balanced football team, I think for sure they can make a deep playoff run. They could be that dark horse, but. If they continue to like drop back and throw it thirty times, I don't think their postseason story is going to last. And currently, the way the cards are aligned, they would probably have to play the Colts. And I think to beat a team like the Colts in the postseason for the Bengals, they would have to kind of play. I'm not saying pl- like play Colts football, but they'd have to be Colts ass balanced, protect the football, don't turn it over, maximize your possessions in the red zone, and you'll be all right. But I agree with Cincinnati. They have up next in the future. I like what they're building. They just need to fortify their offensive line. They fortify their D-line. You know, the D-line that once had Dunlap and Geno Atkins and, you know, Michael Johnson. Those days are over, and now you got Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson and those guys uh, who are making plays. So they just need to fortify their offensive line, and they should be there. Uh, What about the Chargers in your eyes? You know, um, 8-6, and when they lost to the Chiefs, a lot of people automatically said, Man, Chargers are going to be able to avenge that when they play Kansas City in the playoffs. I don't think it's a set in stone thing that they would see KC in the playoffs. Again, do you feel like with the Chargers, are they Bengals-esque? Like, if things go right, they can make a run. But in retrospect, they're also playing a little bit over their heads, and they're not ready yet to make that next step.
1: Compare them to the Bengals because well I think that the Bengals are a team that can more star power, they have a head coach that I trust to the power there, a little bit more potential for a magical run where they get a little hot. Like I think a hot Chargers team is a lot better than a hot Bengals team just because star power is there, both sides of the ball. I know the defense has been struggling this year, but uh, this is a team that can catch fire. This is a team that has some players who have been around for a while and they're superstars. Keenan Allen. Uh, obviously Joey Bosa. there's just like I said a more sense of star power and a team that I would fear much more if they got hot so while I think a hot Bengals team could upset some of the top teams I think that a hot Chargers team could uh really do some damage and possibly make a Super Bowl or a deep playoff run unlike the Cincinnati Bengals
0: I could agree with that I could agree with that as well um my biggest question with the Chargers are uh Their head coach, Staley, kind of showed his hand a little bit. And he's been inconsistent all year as a coach. Um, But he showed his hand a little bit in the Chiefs game in terms of he's a bit emotional. So I would fear that in a playoff setting where he might overthink a situation, like going forward on fourth down five times. Like sometimes you have to judge time score and the temperature of the game. Um, So that's skeptic there. And then a big thing with the Chargers is being a bad run defense does not bode well in the postseason because in the postseason the games become a lot more condensed and shortened and they get that way by teams taking the clock out of the ball game by running the football. And so hypothetically, if the standings stay where they are, they would have to play Tennessee, who would more than likely have Derrick Henry coming back from injury. Henry running against that Chargers defense is not a good recipe. And then Herbert going against a Tennessee defense that's been top five, top 10-ish all year isn't great either. So for the Chargers and the Bengals, it's about matchups for them. If they get a good matchup, I think they have a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. If they get a tough matchup, and tough matchups for them would be playing against stout defensive fronts and balanced offensive teams that have powerful lines that can push back their fronts and run the football well, I think this is a quick little sequence for them in the playoffs for sure. So I think matchups for them overall, but I like what the Chargers are building. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest knock on them the past two years has been finishing games. They've been able to finish games better, um, but they're another team it's kind of, you you don't know. Um, Bills, let's talk about them. They're an intriguing team. Uh, at one point, they were at the top of the AFC. Everybody had them pizzled in to come out of the AFC, especially when, they embarrassed Kansas City on Sunday night football early in the year. Since then, they lose Trey White. Since then, we've truly discovered they have no semblance of a running game. They don't want to stick with it. They struggle to run it. A lot of has to do with their offensive line situations. And statistically, yeah, Josh Allen has the total touchdowns, but he has 12 picks. And there's been too many games this year when he's off their whole offense is out of flux because there's really Josh Allen dependent. How much faith do you have? With this team, to kind of flip the script and
1: resurrect themselves
0: come playoff time.
1: I mean, I, I have a, I have a decent amount of faith in this team. That's if they make the playoffs, which is kind of crazy to say. This is a lot of people's AFC pick starting off the season. Um, but like you said, it's a very Josh Allen dependent team, and that's not saying that uh, they don't have talent around him. It's more just saying that's the structure of the offense. Uh, whether you want to blame Brian Dable for that or whoever you want to point fingers at, that doesn't really matter. The, what matters is that this offense is structured around Josh Allen and him playing well. And he's played well this year. He's had some bumps in the road, as you mentioned, but he's been fantastic once again this year. And he's a quarterback that we know is a gunslinger. We know he gets a bit reckless at times. So all it takes is him to find a hot streak for three to four games. This Buffalo Bills team is fantastic around him. You don't have to worry about the supporting cast around him. In the league, that's even in the league this year, even with the injury and um like I said, they're a team you stride and start playing a bit more consistent football.
0: Yeah, man, when it's clicking for the Bills, they are that elite team. Uh, I just feel like injuries to Trey White are just hard. Um, Trey White was basically their leader in the secondary, their, their soldier, the guy that held it down on the side of the field. And You don't have your best corner. That means safeties have to advocate supreme help to number ones, and that opens it up for other guys across the field to be productive. Um, and then offensively, man, like Josh Allen depended. I, I think it's great that Allen's developed to the point where the offense can now revolve around him. But I think what Josh has kind of shown is he may be more so Cam Newton, Brett Farvish, than how do I say it? Uh, I can't really think of a guy off the top of my Oh, oh, perfect. Mahomes. And what I mean by that is the consistent wildness won't be there for, for Allen throughout his career. And at times that can jeopardize what the bills can be as a team. I think he'll have games. He may have stretches. He may have weeks. He may have a month where it's like, wow, he's great, but consecutive seasons. No. And the best protector for guys like Newton and Favre for their prime were ground games. And, To be fair to Josh, he's never really had a ground game throughout his young career. Yes. So I think that's something Buffalo needs to figure out moving forward. I thought Najee Harris was the perfect pick for them in the draft, and I don't think they had the chance to get him because Pittsburgh took him. Somebody like that who can utilize the limited holes that's there or create their own holes as a physical presence that they can lean on rushing-wise. They needed that in their backfield, and you don't have that with miniature backs like Singletary and Moss and even Matt Breida, who came onto the scene to the degree. So with Buffalo, like you stated, they got to make the playoffs first. And I have them beating New England this weekend. So I think by doing that, they'll be able to make it. Um, But once they get there, what can they do? And I think for them, it's about matchups. But they've shown flashes, you know, their comeback loss. They almost came back and won the Tampa was promising. And then how they beat up on Carolina was cool. But it's pretty clear, man, they're going to need a running game to last in the postseason. And what the regular season has shown is they don't have that. And because of that, you're basically relying on Josh to be your running game as a scrambler and then your passing game as a vertical shot taker. And I don't know if you have the trust and faith. in that moving forward for this team to be successful. So last but not least, the Colts, uh, they're everybody's trendy pick to really be the door horse in the AFC. You have guys when they make top 32 lists. In terms of the top 32 teams in the NFL, the Colts are top five, top 10. Uh, Are you as high on the Colts as everybody in the public has been, especially with Taylor kind of getting the MVP appraisal and approval and their defense, which has been underrated to a sense, hasn't been talked about a lot. They lead the league in takeaways, ground game, opportunistic defense. Are you confident that continues in the postseason?
1: Uh no, not necessarily. I, I wasn't too high on the Colts heading into the season, and a large reason for that was the defense and the secondary. But the uh the reason for that was they had a lot of guys in the secondary play a bit over their head. But what we've seen this year is guys like Kenny Moore kind of merge under the scene and take the place of a guy like Xavier Rhodes, who I didn't expect to put up another productive season for the Colts. But uh so I gotta give them credit there, and they're a better team than I thought. But as far as a team that's gonna go deep in the playoffs, I mean, sure, uh, it's encouraging the run game and they could they could string together some wins but as far as the talent the personnel that other teams have in the AFC they just certainly don't match up. Michael Pittman's been great this year. Obviously Jonathan Taylor too, but this team does not have the star power on joe burrow there's just he's just out there's lamar jackson Justin Justin herbert like all those guys just much better quarterbacks than carson wentz and it not it doesn't always come down to the quarterback and it certainly does with the colts but you definitely have to weigh it into effect that how often is carson wentz going to throw this game away for you and how much can you really trust him because even if he's only thrown it 15 times like we saw the other night against the pats he's still putting your offense at risk and he's still putting the ball uh, potentially into the hands of the defense so with a quarterback like that and personnel it's not quite the same as the others, AFC teams. Uh, I'm not too confident in the Colts making too much of a playoff run this year. Yeah,
0: I feel you on that. I do. I feel you immensely. Uh, Matchup, I think a lot of, I think, four through seven. All these teams have chances to make runs, but it's about matchups, personally. Colts, the issue is wins. Um, And then the defense, like you said, the defense has been playing over its head. Number one in takeaways is phenomenal, but when we look at the defense, like you said, the secondary doesn't have the household names. Kenny Moore's had a fabulous season. Um, but when you think of the close defense, you think of two guys, Buckner and uh, Leonard, Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner. When Buckner's able to dominate the trenches in the middle, and when Darius is able to set his tone as a takeaway machine, whether it's forcing fumbles or getting picks, it's a defense to be reckoned with. But... Uh, you know, Wentz is going to be the guy that's going to hold them back. Uh, I think they were able to save their season by playing through Taylor instead of Wentz, which is what they were trying to do because the whole selling point with getting Wentz was Frank Reich is the head coach. He, Wince meaning he had his best success with Reich as his OC. So him pairing with Reich would allow this team to get a reformed Carson that they could utilize the offensive focal point to help bring this team towards success. When in reality, by like the mid we get a season, they realize, OK, for us to be successful, we got to go through Jonathan Taylor. Like I stated before, every time Jonathan Taylor's ran for over 100 yards, they've won, which is all eight of their wins consist of Jonathan Taylor reaching the century mark on the ground. They're 8-0 when he reaches that plateau. So this team is Jonathan Taylor or bust. And that's fine as long as you have a quarterback that when he does have opportunities to make pass plays, is efficient with the football Wentz is not that. And he still takes risks, and he still makes some dumb decisions. And against teams like Tennessee, New England and Kansas City, you do that, they make you pay. And the more you put that Colts defense on the field, and that happens when your quarterback throws incomplete passes or turns the ball over, which makes your team go three and out or turn the ball over, literally, to the other team. Now you start seeing the Colts defense that we both probably – Expected to see all year teams that give up big plays teams that might bend but eventually break in the red zone that's indie defenses in totality history-wise so you know everybody's high on the coast are playing phenomenal I do think that they'll be able to close out the season pretty well I, um they're not gonna win the AFC South but they'll go 10 and 6 they'll make the playoffs but how long will their postseason run be it may just consist of they win the wild card and then they go home in round two because in round two, you're going to draw Tennessee, who's giving them fits all year, but divisional matchups, so anything can happen. New England, I don't think it's a good matchup for them because of the defensive scheme ability of Bill Belichick and Kansas City, their improved defense and their offensive pressure that they have. They have no answer for Kelsey, and they have no answer for they would not match up well with Kansas City at all. So um, I agree with them. They won't stay long, but hey, a playoff win for them is a success story because. The Colts haven't won a playoff game since I think Andrew Luck has been there. So um, that'd be success for them, but I don't think they're there yet overall. Being said, this is going to be the end of episode 37 of Independent Hotel, um with uh, Joe Ladati from From the Pocket. It was great to have him on. Before we go, Joe, just want to talk about how you felt on my platform. Um, and then before you go talk about things you're looking forward to in the NFL circuit, to end the season we got three games left three weeks left so um what type of teams you're expecting to make pushes for playoff birds um what storylines are you intrigued to see develop things like that so joe before
1: we head out the floor is yours um well i appreciate you having me on uh uh finally glad we got to uh work this out i had a good time on the podcast and uh any other time you knew. You want me on here, just let me know. So I appreciate that. But uh, as far as the end of the season, we uh, just looking forward to these playoffs, man. We've got a tighter playoff race than ever. Um, and then the offseason should be fun, too. We've got some teams. We've got some uh, some teams that are very good rosters looking for quarterbacks. And we've got some quarterbacks that are very good in their primes that are looking for new teams. So uh, while we do have a very exciting playoff race coming up, I'm also very excited for an offseason that should be filled of huge moves, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, a bunch of quarterbacks that could be on the move this offseason, to teams that have been quarterback needy for a very long time. So, uh, yeah, something definitely to look forward to as the season is starting to wind down.
0: All facts, all facts, indeed. Um, Those three quarterbacks you listed, those are the big three, the aforementioned big three. In the offseason, they're all going to have storylines centered around them leaving, I think we all expect. Rodgers and Watson to be gone from their respective organizations moving forward. Um, Wilson uh, cat and mouse game could continue. Russ could probably feel like he could save face and maybe do something productive in Seattle, but maybe he's out to window as well. Um, You got that. And then, you know, the draft coming up. So the NFL offseason if you thought it was crazy last year and a year before that, it's going to be even more hectic this season. So that's something to tune into. Playoff wise, I'm just really interested to see how this NFC playoff picture is going to shake out, especially with the Niners losing tonight. So um, I think to get the last two spots, it's going to take it's going to take nine wins. So I think you expect to have two nine win teams claim the last two spots in the NFC. But there's also a chance there could be two spots opening. In the NFC, because the Niners could easily lose their next two games. I mean, they're playing the Cardinals and the Rams, and so that can open the door for Minnesota, Philly, uh, New Orleans. Maybe those three teams. We know Minnesota's got the seven spot, but uh, out of those three guys competing for one spot, now you can have maybe three guys competing for two spots, and that can open up a whole Pandora box of intriguing matchups moving there. But um, great to have you on, Joe. Um, great to have your um from the pocket brand on my platform and to talk football. You know, I'm gonna reach out to you plenty more in the future. Uh you gotta know what you're talking about. It was easy to have a conversation with you, fluid. It was flowing. So hope to keep that going in the future.
1: No, for sure, man. Like I said, I appreciate you having me on. Uh as the NFL season winds down and things start to get more hectic, uh always good to talk football to what other people are thinking. So appreciate sure you having me on and all that. So uh yeah. And I appreciate you guys for listening. Yeah, man. I mean, I heard the
0: man. Uh, listen, tune in, tune into this NFL episode in independent Intel. But for that out, this is a late pod. Um, it's actually a new day now. So Friday. But uh it's gonna be a good listen for you guys. Hope you guys listen to it. Um, I'm out. See you next week, potentially with a new guest. Peace.